Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And someone who is responsible for something on your phone. <laughs> yes. And it, if is it is on your phone. Multiple apps on your phone. Yes. There's not a question. And if you have kids on your tablets or whatever other device. Yeah, we were talking about, we were preparing for this episode, and uh, I said, well, um, I have known Bobby Grunewald for 15, almost 15 years, because 2005, uh, we had met at McLean Bible Church at a gathering of people who were uh, slightly obsessed with multi-site, and it was, (laughs) at that time, I would consider a lot of old guard and new guard. Mm. Now, some of that new guard is maybe old guard. Um, but it was so much fun because there was this crazy group of people, um, uh, Bobby and Terry Storch and a couple other people from uh, from Life Church, uh, and um, then guys from like Seacoast and North Point. And then you had Saddleback and Willow yeah. Creek. But everybody was what was beautiful is everybody was uh, comfortable and mm. confident in who they were and their own skin. And it was one of the best groups of people I've ever been around from the aspect of the, you know, whole, the, we were actually talking about this before uh, we got on the air, but the iron sharpens iron r- real. The only way that really happens is when people are, you know, comfortable enough and confident enough um, to have healthy conversations. Yeah. In, even the, in the conflict. lobby, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, but the person that I am not letting talk is uh, is Bobby Greenwald, who's responsible for, in part, I know there's a team, uh, but version, uh, the Bible app on your phone, because it is on your phone. Uh, it's just, uh, it, it, you know, because we were talking about, oh, is, now, has Bobby written a book? No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> there's the Bible app. It's the Bible app. <laughs> so it's like, hey, Rick Warren. Purpose driven. Hey, John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. Who's reached and impacted and That's influenced right. the church. That's right. Uh, man. So, man, thank you so much for being here. Bobby was on, he's an OG. When yeah, it comes man. To Episode 79. 79. Yeah. It's a long time ago. Now, Craig has been on three or four times. Mm. So he's got you beat there. But I think. <laughs> but anyway, we, we tell can, us a little we bit. Can, but, we can um, solve that, guys. Let's just go ahead and do, let's just do let's, two episodes in a row. We, we can should. knock that out we today. <laughs> Um, tell us a, a little bit more um, about what you guys have. Uh, well, anything that uh, you want people to know besides the tirade that I just went on. Yeah, uh, and then we'll as, get into our questions. As far as uh, your family, your work, um, yeah, well, what you're excited about. You guys are uh, are very very generous uh, in the introduction there, but we um, we feel definitely very humble to be a part of what God's doing here. Um, I've been on staff now at Life Church for 18 years. And so mm-hmm. I've seen, seen a lot of things happen over those 18 years. And of course, as you mentioned, the Uversion Bible app is, um, is one of those things, you know, that certainly God's used in a pretty significant way. We're actually really excited right now. We have, um, yeah, really kind of a bit of an expanded vision for Uversion that, that um, we're working on sort of going forward. And it's not fully materialized yet in terms of like how it'll actually shape the product, but we're really going to focus um, the app around intimacy with God. And, mm. and that will uh, create some new opportunities and some new features uh, going forward, but we haven't 
um, kind of gone public with that yet only because the team is really just starting to work on some of the concepts and ideas and see kind of what we want to do um, with it. But it's a, a, a not a necessarily a new direction because the Bible definitely brings intimacy with God. We're just trying to expand the the concept of what that means or could be. So that'll be um, that'll be coming soon. But it's also something that's really fresh and new and exciting, sort of internally here as we're sort of working through and processing about that. But the church is doing well. Um, we're continuing to grow. We've got 33 locations um, now in in 10 states, and uh, and continuing to um, see God take the church into new places and new areas. And, and so it's just really good season right now for us here. And, and um, it has not always been been up and growing. Sometimes there's down years, flat years, things that kind of haven't um, have been more difficult seasons. This just happens to be one that uh, feels like yeah. we're seeing a lot of momentum right now. Yeah. One of the things that I've so appreciated about Life Church, and um, I mean, I love on your guys' website, your title is Innovation Leader and Life Church has definitely been an innovator. And one of the things that I've really appreciated about you guys is your open-handedness for the church, because I mean, you guys have open network and church online, and there's so many different resources that you guys have provided the church in being so open-handed. I'm curious though, before we get into all our questions, what impact do you find that posture has brought internally into your church and into the reach that you guys have? Uh, obviously there's the influence side of it, um, the overall kingdom. I mean, that's that's obvious there, but just for a Life Church member, for the Life Church campuses, what is all of the innovation done for your church and in reaching the lost for Christ within your context? Yeah. So, you know, it's really, um, it's a great question. We, um, it's done a, done a ton of things. So I would, I would start by even saying that the way that you mentioned how we, we give the resources away to other ministries, um, the actual act of doing that or the process of doing that has shaped generosity inside of our church, the people of our church mm. in a way that we never anticipated. I mean, we, we didn't give the resources away as a strategy. We did it really out of obedience to what we felt God was leading us to do back in, back in 2006. And at the time we had absolutely no idea one, the impact it would have on others, you know, which we, we had some presumption that doing this would be helpful you know, to other churches, but we didn't know how many, we didn't know that it would reach. I think it's, it's almost 600,000 pastors and church leaders today that use these, these free resources. Um, but the bigger impact that we definitely didn't anticipate was how it changed our church. And, and we look back to that decision at the time we made it, we were financially very, very tight. I mean, we had borrowed as much money as the bank would loan us. We were, it was kind of we were dealing with good growth, which is a sort of a good problem, but it was a problem that uh, really financially constrained us. You know, we we had the inability to keep up, you know, with yeah. the, the requirements. What's what's amazing is that we have actually not borrowed a single dollar from the day that that decision was made back in 2006. And in fact, we actually have no debt today as a church. Um, so we've gone from borrowing as much as we could borrow to not ever having to borrow again the moment that we actually released all of our resources and made them available for free. Wow. And it's just, and it, but the, what, the reason for that is because some somehow God used that 
inside of us as leaders, but also inside of our church to, to have our church just, they just became more generous uh, in their own giving personally in the way that our, sort of our identity as a church b- built on this, this notion of generosity. So it actually transformed our church to where that's a value of ours. It's something we talk about. But uh, prior to that decision, we would have said we're generous, but we would not have been known for being generous. And we wouldn't have had that as part of our identity as a church. And that really did um, shape and change our church. And of course, our emphasis on Bible um, has created a lot of opportunity to really drive personal Bible engagement within our own ministry. And that's an important part of what we do today. Not that it wasn't a part before, but it's almost sort of a, there's a stronger sense of ownership, you know, of the people in our church saying this is something we should be doing, something we 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 need to do, and it's because our church has kind of been been a leader in that is the reason why the the people in the church actually um, identify with that as well. So there's been a lot of a lot of really benef- uh, significant benefits to the ministry. But again, when we made some of those decisions, and even when we did um, just not even give it away, but just some of the actual ideas themselves, we had no idea what God was going to do, and we certainly weren't doing it out of some grand strategy strategy that we were trying to employ. It was just trying to be obedient to what God was calling us to do at the time. Man, I love that. So this is, uh, I'm usually very excited to ask this question. Um, I'm always excited to ask this question of of Craig as well as you, um, because I know you guys have a, a learning culture. Uh, but who are you currently, who are you currently learning from? Sure. There's, there's a few people, um, that jump to mind. Um, one is, uh, a guy named Anthony Tan. Um, you might not know of Anthony Tan, but he is the founder of Grab, which is basically like the Uber of Southeast Asia. And he's a, um, he's a believer and they have, their company is just blowing up in Southeast Asia. They, they actually acquired Uber in Southeast Asia. So Uber doesn't exist there anymore. They're now grab wow. um, there. And, and so it's like, I don't know how many, it, I'm, I'm just taking a stab at it, but I think it's like between a 12 and $15 billion company, um, for last I heard. But anyway, he's just, he's got kind of a tiger by the tail with his business, but he's also building uh, Grab into what's called a super app. And so I've just been fascinated to learn from this because uh, it's something that kind of originated in China. And it's this sort of phenomenon where uh, an, an app that has heavy daily use, um, like in the case of China, WeChat was one of those. And, uh, and then they expand the features out into tons of other areas because they find that the consumers that they're reaching via one particular need um, are, trust that brand and would rather just do all those things by extension, you know, meaning instead of just hailing rides, they also can watch movies from the same app. They can order food. They can buy insurance. They can watch a cooking show. I mean, they can do a million things all in this one app. And I'm fascinated because it's very, very different than the context we have here in the U.S. in terms of the way that people think about design and and um, um, just how people build apps and just the think thought process around brands and everything else. So, so I, I love to learn in the contrast and because it's so different and because it's growing and it's spreading, you know, from China to other parts of the world. Um, I'm just fascinated to see what we can learn from it. So, Anthony, both in terms of his his just leadership um, and how he approaches his faith in the marketplace is fascinating to me. And, and, uh, but also even more technically um, 
uh, what he's learning about the consumer and how he's approaching the growth of his business is just uh, uh, something that I'm trying to kind of absorb all I can learn from him. So he's one. Um, another would be uh, Rob Hoskins. Rob Hoskins, um, he is the uh, the president of One Hope. It's a ministry that I serve on That's the right. board of. Yep. And Rob is a pretty incredible guy. He's um, done enormous uh, amount in ministry, particularly ministry with children uh, around scripture engagement. Uh, so I've been connected with Rob for many, many years. But the thing I'm learning from Rob right now is, is sort of how to do ministry well um, with travel and family. Uh, he has raised uh, two incredible uh, daughters, and he did that while having a travel schedule that makes mine look like nothing. And so I was trying to figure out, like, how did he do well with it? Because usually that's presented as sort of a binary decision. You can either travel or, or have a great family, you know, pick one. And um, and I've found that that's not necessarily the case. It all depends on the the way that you parent and the way that you integrate your family. And so, so Rob's been encouraging um, me through basically just could have been asking him a lot of questions about how he was successful with that. Um, just been encouraging me to bring my kids along um, to uh, just give me some real advice on how to be intentional in my parenting when I'm present, when I'm home. And, and so he's one I'm learning from on a kind of a personal level. And then the third I would say would be just recently uh, Peb Jackson. I don't know if you uh, know Peb Jackson, but he's been uh, around involved in different significant ministries for many, many years. And he's known a lot of leaders. He's worked with a lot of leaders. He um, has, he's kind of, uh, an international man of mystery is what I call him in the Christian space because he, he's, he's the Kevin Bacon of, of Christianity. Every, he's one, one degree of separation from everybody. And, and so if you know Peb, you know, you know everybody else. But, um, mm. but he's actually given me a lot of advice on, on managing and building long-term relationships because we have a lot of relationships, key relationships, and how to kind of navigate that well. And then also even just on... Um, what to look for uh, that that takes out leaders. You know, he's seen some leaders rise. He's seen some leaders fall. You know, he, he's he's a bit older uh, in life, and and so the wisdom that he has to kind of look for insight of what are some of those indicators that you're making the wrong decision as a leader? Where, how do you know when narcissism is, is you know, creeping in or how do you kind of find the balance and stay humble in the midst of, um, uh, you know, kind of a platform that's rapidly expanding. And so, uh, so Peb's just somebody that I've really kind of, I, I spent a day with him recently. I, I just initiated and flew out to where he's at, spent an entire day with him, just soaking in anything I could possibly learn about his life experience and what he could what he could bring. So those are three. All right. So, uh, Bobby, you've essentially just blown up the rest of our questions because <laughs> the number of follow up questions I have right now is pretty. It's, it's pretty extensive. extensive. So we'll see. We'll see Maybe what happens. We just, uh, <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Let's see what happens. All right. So I'll let me ask I the first. Oh, I can't believe we haven't had Rob Hoskins. I know. Before. I know. I was like, oh, I. Yeah. Exactly. Why? Yeah. We okay, definitely need so to have Rob. Rob, Rob, Rob would be amazing. He would yeah. be. He would he be. be yeah. And it's yes. He would say. He would say yes too. And I just haven't ever thought to ask the guy. Okay, so Bobby, uh, Todd, and I. I mean, we obviously don't travel as much, um, likely as much as you or Rob, but uh, we both have young families, and and we do that as a result of all the consulting and and work that we do with churches. So. 
what what are you learning from Rob? What have you learned? How have you changed? Share with the yeah, group. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Please help us understand the travel side. Yeah, well, there's um, there's a couple things. I, I learned it from um, both Rob and Francis Chan, um, who I, I was talking to a little bit about how to be successful um, and handle the kind of global reach or responsibilities, aka requ- things that require travel um, to other parts mm-hmm. of the world. And, um, and Rob said what he did um, was he really was intentional about bringing his children along with him. It was like an absolute must, you know, and Francis Chan said the exact same thing, said that his relationship mm-hmm. with his children really grew and changed when he was bringing his children with him. It doesn't mean that they'd be at every single event or every single trip, but the fact that they're um, a part of it made a huge difference both in their growth and development, their relationship um, with their father, um, their perspective on what their father did. Uh, You know, all of that was impacted and, and helped their relationship. So in the case of Rob, he actually took both of his daughters out of school for their eighth grade year, and they traveled the full year with them full time uh, on their eighth yeah. grade year. And so that's a pretty big and significant um, investment and, and change. Um, but then, um, but they used uh, homeschooling and tutors and things to sort of help. Um, you know, they didn't stop learning that year to pull them out of school, but they basically changed the way they did schooling, you know, for that one year in the eighth grade year. And then, um, and then back to high school, of course, after that, but that, um, that one year was really transformative, um, for, for him and his kids. And then, and then they would still bring them on other trips, uh, around either around school, but it was like a full-time thing that eighth grade year is what they did. So that was one of the practical ways that he did it. Um, and Francis just kind of described that he, he just sort of brought his kids along with them, um, on several things. So, so, so anyway, the real short summary of it is what I'm doing is my wife and I are talking about making some adjustments to how we handle schooling. I I took my two oldest kids with me to Australia and New Zealand last October in response to the conversation I had with Francis about it. Mm. And, um, and it was an amazing trip. I mean, they just, they just came along on the things I was doing, but but the memories that they had from that trip, the, the, what they learned, um, the environments that they got to be in. Uh, I mean, they still talk about it. They'll probably talk about the rest of their lives. It was really impactful to them and to me, um, for them to be along on it. And that was just one trip. Uh, so, yeah, uh, unfortunately I can't, I, because they're both in public schools, I, I actually got a letter in the mail saying if they miss three more days, they're going to call the truancy officer on me. So I've kind of, <laughs> I've sort of pushed, um, pushed the limit of what I could do. Um, which meant, which told me my wife and I are having like, an active conversation right now. And in the next few months, we'll be deciding how we want to approach this. But, but we're very much contemplating on changing the way we handle the schooling for our kids. Uh, it might affect, um, you know, other aspects of how we do life as well. We're not hundred percent sure yet, but, um, but we'll, we'll make some decisions here soon, but the goal would be to, to bring them along more, um, um, on the journey with us. I have four kids and they're, they're 13, 11, seven, and five. And, um, and I think that's important. One of the things that Rob said, I was a little bit nervous, um, about having my kids, um, feel the pressure of being, um, my kids, you know, by having them in environments where they saw, um, me like on a stage or in front of lots of people, or, you know, just some of those things I've always kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of shielded them from that. And so my, even my youngest, he's, uh, 
he's uh, five. I remember we pulled up to our, our offices and we have kind of a child care program for our kids. Um, so when he was, now he's in kindergarten, but before that he came every day with me to work and he would go to the, the child care part of what we do. We call it staff kids and it's mm-hmm. an amazing program. So he came there every day. Well, he, he's a part of our church. He goes to, you know, our, our kids ministry and he loves life church and, and, uh, and he, ha- and we have different characters in our curriculum and stuff that he's obviously connected to. And one of those characters that's in our kids curriculum is called Mr. Music. And so my five-year-old really likes Mr. Music and he would like write letters to Mr. Music and want to make gifts for Mr. Music. And so one day that's I awesome. said, I said, I could deliver your letter to Mr. Music. And he's like, you know, Mr. Music. And I was like, I actually, I actually do know Mr. Music and I can, I can deliver the letter to him. And he said, well, how do you know him? I said, well, I actually work with Mr. Music. And he goes, you work at Life Church? And so my, my five-year-old had absolutely no idea. Uh, that's how shielded um, my, my kids have been from it. And when I talked to Rob about it, he actually said that I'm doing the wrong thing with that. And he huh. said that it's much more important for your kids, especially at a young age, to see to know what their parents do because mm. he said that's one of the, the things that um, – that we've seen culture kind of change over time. It used to be back when people were farmers, you know, many, many years ago that people knew what their parents did because the kids actually worked on the farm. You know, they did it with their parents. And then when their par- the industrial age came, you know, parents would, um, uh, you know, would go to work to build something. And so the kids would always say, my dad builds cars or my dad builds, you know, does this, you know, builds this specific thing. And they knew what their parents did. And nowadays, a lot of kids just say, my, my dad goes to the office, you know, or my dad goes to work. Um, mm-hmm. But they don't actually know what their dad does or can't describe it. Um, and so they don't, they don't aspire to it. You know, they don't even know what to aspire to. Um, and so in many ways, he said, it's really important for kids to have a sense of identity about what their parents do. And then also to not, to not be worried about whether or not um, there's a bit of a uh, sense of pressure of the kids like, well, you know, my dad, he speaks to lots of people or people think he's kind of important or all they said, don't worry about all that. You actually want your kids to see you as a superhero, you know, to kind of think that you're the best in the world or whatever it is. That's, you can always, you can always navigate that conversation more effectively than, than them not knowing at all. It's like easier to kind of manage the sense that they think dad is like a rock star versus um, the opposite, you know, where they don't have a sense of it's, it's better for them to see their parents as superheroes, you know, in the in their own eyes. And so I was always nervous about that. Rob says that that's, he, you know, he really thinks that, um, we should kind of, and I may be, maybe like paraphrasing his conversation to me in the wrong way, but that's the, I believe that's true to form and what he was trying to share with me. And so I've, I've tried to make adjustments and kind of bringing my kids along more and helping them see and experience more about more of what God's doing. I so love good. that. It is. <laughs> Because, you know, we're in the process of that same, I also have four kids, uh, and we're also moving that exact same direction this fall, we make the switch. So, that is very comforting, reassuring. Yeah. You're the voice of the Lord. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so another follow-up question on with your, what you were talking about with Peb Jackson. We'll eventually get to the five questions. Maybe it'll be maybe. Like three questions today. Sure. Yeah. Or maybe we'll just have Bobby back on and <laughs> Oh, we could. Yeah. Because then he could he needs the lap crap. Yes, he should. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are you learning about uh, maintaining long term relationships? And and part of the question is 
right? I mean, while that last one, um, maybe actually we could start there. The last one, you know, we were talking about travel, but for a local church pastor, how would you translate what you just said for the local church pastor? Uh, do they bring their kids to the church with them on meetings? I mean, what does that look like for a local church pastor that may not travel as much? Yeah. But then secondly, with Peb Jackson, just thoughts on long-term relationships and how to how to better do that, because that's something that pastors need to do well. Sure. On the, on the local church um, pastor, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. They have a lot of insight other than just, I remember... Um, Rick Warren having a conversation with me about uh, integrity and that the root word for integrity was the same word for integer, which really means oneness. And that um, instead of compartmentalizing our, li- compartmentalizing our lives into different compartments, like we have work life, home life, you know, uh, uh, you know, family life, just different kind of compartments. He said that tends to lead to a lack of oneness, you know, like we're a different person here, we're a different person there. He said finding ways to kind of integrate all those things together is really one of the foundations to integrity. And so he was basically, what I took from that was integrating your family into ministry or your ministry into family uh, is an important thing. And I think um, I think that advice would apply regardless of whether you're traveling or whether you're you know, a local pastor or whatever your context might be. And so I think that probably the advice as far as like having them come to every meeting or having them come to every event, I think you just have to kind of use judgment as to whether or not that is something that your kids are going to grow from or develop from or learn from, or if you're just kind of trying to avoid having a sitter. Um, cause there's sort of two, <laughs> there's sort of two things. If you're kind of kids are like drug along, you know, because it's just, I, um, don't know what to do with you. So I'm going to have you kind of try to keep yourselves occupied while I'm doing something different. That's a completely different thing than I want you to be there. I'd love for you to experience this. I'd love for you to meet these people. I'd love for you to see this. I think some of it's more about intention. Um, and, and cause your kids will, will feel that intention or lack of it. Um, and I think that's probably what I would say to local pastors. It probably just depends on both the intention and the motivation, uh, not just the action. And then on, um, on Peb, uh, you know, Peb, Peb just has places a high value on relationship and it's something that I have done as well. But, um, but I think I appreciate it even more, you know, in my time with him, I have systems that we've set up to try to manage relationships. It's not necessarily what I specifically learned from Peb. I just kind of take the values I learned from Peb and try to apply them and use my own kind of ideas and ideation to it. Um, So we, we have a a list of people that, that we try to maintain relationships with and um, everything from Google alerts set up to let me know when things are happening in the news about these people so that I can kind of, you know, uh, you know, stay abreast of it or reach out to them, maybe send them a text message, congratulating them. We've got kind of systems in my office to try to help me be successful with that because I just don't have the time or ability to kind of constantly be monitoring it. So we try to try to get some help with that. Um, and we, uh, we try to have relational touch points. You know, we have kind of a, a Christmas gift list, uh, birthday cards that we send out, just things that might seem a little, um, old school in some ways, but, um, but I found them to actually be pretty meaningful and they're sort of just intentional relational touch points. And then the last part I would say is I've, one thing I did learn from Peb that has been really helpful is it had to really do with more of how to manage, um, 
manage my schedule because I felt like the number of inbound requests for my time were just so extensive and so massive that I, f- I kind of felt like I was always responding and I could never respond enough, you know, to what was coming mm-hmm. in. And Peb said that what he's seen with leaders that have been effective is he said, you have to, you have to kind of fill your calendar or at least put things on your calendar first that are the things that you want to do that are, that are you not reacting, but you, um, being proactive and just saying, this is the person I want to meet with. This is a, a thing I want to do. I'm not like waiting for an invitation to speak there, or I'm not responding to an invitation to, to have a meeting, but I'm initiating and saying, I want to meet with so-and-so and I want to reach out and set up the meeting and put it on my calendar first before I fill my calendar with the things that people making requests from me. And even though that seems super basic and super like obvious for me, it was profound because I didn't even, I didn't even feel like that was an option. I just kind of felt like I had to sit there and, and feel everything and respond and try to prioritize the requests versus like starting and saying, what is my first priority? What do I care about the most? Who do I want to meet with and, and the most? And so this year I really changed that. And I actually went out and set up meetings and even trips that were intentionally because I, I wanted to initiate and I wanted to have a conversation with this person. Um, even like Anthony Tan, the, the first person I mentioned, um, I actually initiated and set up a meeting because I, it had been six months since I had met with them and I wanted to continue to learn from him. So I set up a trip to, to go to Singapore to meet with him. Um, not because I had a request or I had, you know, something that drew me there or just happened, happened to run by him, but because I actually wanted to intentionally go there. I put that on my calendar before I did anything else, you know, that month. And that was kind of, um, just an example of how I've been applying, you know, some of that and Pe- that came from Peb. In fact, the, the meeting that I had with Peb to learn from Peb was because I wanted to do that. So I, I, it's kind of like inception. I put his advice to work by setting up a meeting with him to learn from him. And, uh, and you know, it, as simple as that is, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, for me, it was profound. And so I'm, I'm being intentional about the touch points with the key relationships that I have, making sure that instead of it just happening at the back of a conference or happening when I happen to be in their city, I'm actually trying to say, no, I want to make sure I'm proactive and, and, and putting those on the calendar before uh, the calendar fills up. That's great. Okay, so um, there's no way we're going to get through all five questions. That's okay. <laughs> Not at all. We're just going to take them in order. Well, we did kind of talk about his home life here and there. We did. Yeah. Yes. We so. can count that one as the answer. <laughs> uh, what's the main point of emphasis for you and your team right now? Yeah, so, you know, I always, I kind of have two things that I'm always emphasizing and, um, and they are, they happen to be a point of emphasis right now, but they're, they're things that I've, I think are constant, which are speed and agility. I think that, um, both, you know, we, we see this like in our physical lives, meaning like, as we get older, if we don't maintain, um, mobility, if we don't kind of keep our bodies moving, then they tend to, you know, get slower and they tend to get less flexible. Um, the same thing is true for our organizations, uh, without an intentional effort to focus on agility, to focus on speed, things get slower, 
things get more difficult to move, change becomes harder, uh, and it does not happen on its own. It does not happen naturally. It requires like intentional leadership, intentional focus. And so, so that's kind of an area, I mean, there's a very general category is what it looks like practically right now. One of the, the phrases that um, I'm using this year with the team is, is to reduce the slack. And what that came from was a conversation I had uh, with one of the guys from Dave Ramsey's team. And we were talking about processes and systems. And he was just referencing how there's this term called slack that refers to the time in a process where actually no work is getting done. And Mm -hmm. an example of that would be if, if I worked on something and I sent it to you, Daniel, to review, uh, and I sent you the email and here's the document I was working on. I need you to review it. And it's only going to take you five minutes to review it and, and maybe another five minutes to give me your thoughts. However, it's sitting in your inbox for a day, um, before you spend that 10 minutes actually working on it. And that day that it sits, spins in your inbox is the slack in the process. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it only takes 10 minutes to do, but the process might take a day and a half from start to finish. Uh, and, and so I, that's why whenever there's a time of crisis or a time where, where there's, you know, something that is kind of driving uh, systems to kind of be set aside for a moment. And let's, we've got to kind of get this done because there's an emergency and it has to get done by Saturday. Um, that's why it's remarkable how much can get done in 24 hours, you know, when you're in one of those moments. And, and on a normal course, it might take four weeks, you know, to do what got done in 24 hours. And it's because basically you removed all the slack in that moment. You know, everybody was coordinated, kind of came together and said, I'm standing by ready to do my part and I can, or we can do it simultaneously or we can, you know, we're basically going to reduce all the back and forth waiting in it. So even though idealistically you can't, um, you can't eliminate all of it because everyone's obviously got, you know, can't sit around just waiting for, you know, this one thing to do. And and they've got other things that kind of, kind of distract them. There are ways you can intentionally reduce it. And you can realize that before I put this extra step in the process, because we had a problem one time, and so I just added this step where it only takes 10 minutes, but what you didn't realize it actually added two days of slack, um, not, ten, mm-hmm. not 10 minutes. And the two days might've been too costly um, for that process because it added, to, it, it reduced the speed, you know, too much of it. So when you start to really look at like the waiting time in, in processes, I think it, it changes um, your mindset a little bit. So that's just like a more practical yeah. way that we're looking at it. But the focus at the end of the day is still on speed and agility, that's just one way to kind of increase speed is to reduce the slack. Hmm. So let me ask a question with that. Um, You know, if we look back at like a classic Covey quadrant of, you know, what's urgent and important, urgent, not important, all that kind of stuff. How do you, uh, (laughs) how do you um, properly look at the weight of importance and waiting time. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, how do you balance those things? Because there's some things that hit our inbox that aren't, or how do you yeah. keep, how do you, uh, how do you reduce the slack when what we're fighting against in some cases is, you know, even designating what's important and unimportant? Yep. Or, no, it's a good question. And, and I think we're trying to, I'm personally trying to learn how to do that more effectively. You still have to obviously weight importance and value and be a kind of return on investment. Most of what, um, 
most of what I'm getting at with the reducing the slack is is really changing the process itself not just not just looking and saying well I'm waiting right now for a day I, I just need to do it right now and make it urgent it's more like saying do I even need to be in the does this step even need to be in the process because right. because realistically um, you know, Bobby can't answer that email in five minutes. It's going to take him two days. So do I need to be a step in the process? Is it worth that? Is it worth two days on average, you know, of waiting for it? Not necessarily that I can reduce two days to one day. I mean, maybe that's possible, but you're right. Cause sometimes there's, there's other things that are more urgent and that's the reason why it takes two days, you know, it, right. it, going to go to one day would be a mistake cause it comes at the cost of something else that's more important. However, the big question is if it does take two days, should we even have the step, you know, in the process mm -hmm. or can we eliminate it? And so that's why it's not eliminating the slack. It's reducing the slack. It's kind of the focus because it won't get eliminated, but there'll be places we and if we could improve it by 10%, that'd be a pretty measurable increase, you know, in terms of our productivity and our output. The other way to answer your question, though, is there are times where I'm unnecessarily introducing Slack into something. An example being I did, you know, I do get an email. It would literally take me two minutes to answer that email, but maybe I send it to my assistant. And then she then, and I say, send me a reminder to answer this, you know, in the future. And so then it goes on my list and then we're having a meeting and she's like, Hey, just a reminder, you need to answer that email. I mean, I know that may seem silly, but there's times I've actually done that. And now all the time that it took for her to receive it, for her to mention it, bring it back on my list. It literally would have taken me two minutes to answer it right there, you know, in the moment. And I could have spent two minutes doing something that added maybe 15 minutes, you know, of total time to it. So some of it it is like, it's not that it's urgent, but some of it is actually saying there are times where I can just get this done now and not have all this extra debate or all this extra time or all this extra, you know, thinking uh, going around it. And so I am trying to find other places where I can sort of do things in the moment instantly and realize that, that the, the delay I introduce myself sometimes isn't just about priority. It's just, it's just about, a delay, <laughs> not actually, you know, it's not actually uh, helping the situation. So it's, there's a little bit of efficiency you can drive just by the thought process. But the bigger thing is probably looking for extra steps in the systems, I think is where we'll find most of it. I love that. Oh, That's yeah. so practical. And I think everyone, all of our listeners can yeah. take that away and be there's like, a okay, lot of pastors right now, they'll be like, Oh, uh, I hope my assistant. <laughs> but I love, but I love, you know, Bobby, what you said that it's not about getting rid of it in a lot of cases, it's reducing it. Right. And I think that's something all of us can do. Yep. All right. Uh, before we get to our next question, I just wanted to say a quick word from our sponsor. You know, training your volunteers and leaders is important, but do you ever feel like you don't know where to start? Well, that's why Lifeway Leadership developed Ministry Grid. With Ministry Grid's library of over 3,000 training videos, the work has been done for you and you'll be able to train everyone in your church. And this is training that you can trust. Each Ministry Grid video features an experienced ministry leader who has been where you are now. You can even customize the training by adding your own videos, PDFs, YouTube videos, and more. And now Ministry Grid has one plan with one price that gives you unlimited access to train your entire church. Just go to ministrygrid.com to learn more. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com. Now let's go back to the interview. All right. So Bobby, with your responsibilities and all, all that's under your, 
um, umbrella, both inside and outside of the church and with your family, and you think about your life and your leadership, what are maybe one or two things that you find yourself absolutely having to do daily and what benefit does it have for you? You know, I, uh, developed, um, a morning routine probably five or six years ago. I used to be a night person where I would stay up really late at night. And that was kind of my rhythm. And I, it wasn't that I slept in late in the morning. I just didn't get up early in the morning. I kind of got up at just enough time to kind of get ready and go to work. Um, but not, um, but most of my extra time was like late at night. And so I flipped five or six years ago to being a morning person because mm -hmm. it was a time that I felt like I could consistently have to, to develop some disciplines that, um, that I didn't have to be concerned about how it affected family. Um, my family's still sleeping during this time. So it wasn't really, um, it, it, it was protected time, meaning like I just, I wasn't gonna be worried about someone having a meeting or calling a meeting or having to do something. So I get up every morning, uh, usually around 4.15 is when I get up and I have kind of a fairly routine um, process to that where I will eat, I will read um, probably for about an hour I don't eat for the whole hour, but I do read for the, for the hour. And then, uh, and then, um, I go work out and I go to the gym and I, it's not necessarily a long workout. Sometimes it's only 30 minutes, 35 minutes. Uh, it used to be longer and I've kind of gotten down to, to kind of a shorter routine, but that rhythm for me, uh, really starts my day in an effective, um, sort of much more effective way. And so I've, I've pr been pretty consistent at that travel sometimes throws that off a little bit, but even when I travel, I try my best to, to incorporate that routine into it, but, um, not always successful, but, but enough. And, uh, and for me, that's kind of a must start, you know, to my day. And, and sometimes even if I happen to be up late because of, uh, of some event or something going on, and I've only had, you know, three hours or four hours of sleep, um, you know, I still try to follow through on the routine because I find that it, it's just helpful to have that consistency to it. Um, so, so that's more of like on a personal, both health and spiritual health, because that, that reading part obviously includes scripture in, in that. Um, it's not just scripture. I, I go through certainly a Bible reading time. I also go and read um, some news and information. So it's not a full hour of just scripture uh, in that time, but I've tried, tried to do that. I've also tried to make sure I'm adding points of, of reflection in. That was something I did not do for years where I actually stop and kind of try to reflect on what God's saying to me. Uh, I'm not a journaler, but I, I might become one um, because I'm, I'm it, more and more, I'm kind of feel like I'm capturing insights in that time that I, that I'm trying, I'm, I'm recording, but not as consistently yet as I want to. So I'm kind of a work in progress, you know, on that, but that's definitely another thing that's been helpful, helps me kind of recenter uh, and get perspective um, before before I, before I start my day. Um, I'll try that. Yeah. So there's a couple things. I'm, I'm sure there's more, but those are a couple that come to mind. That's awesome. Great. How long did it take you to make that switch from being a night to a morning? Yeah. Like until it, until it became like, yeah, it really, until it really became a habit for you. Yeah. So the, the switch actually happened 
you know, pretty much instantly in the sense that I, I set out to do it. I made the plans in advance about what I was going to do. And then I, I just, you know, started like on a Monday because most people start new routines like on a week, you know, a clean week. But, um, but I, what, what I had to do to make it a habit though, was I kind of created some, some internal mental rules, you know, only rules that I would know if I'm following. But the rule was that, um, that I would always push through whatever that feeling was that said I should value sleep over the routine. And, um, cause you'll, you'll like rationalize with yourself in the morning when you're tired and lay totally. there and, and do it. So I, so I basically just said every time that I think that I should stay in bed, I'm going to always choose the other option. Um, even, you know, so, so because I, I just had to do that to b- develop the routine. And so there are times I definitely thought that I woke up, alarm went off and I'm like going, man, today I should just sleep a little longer. And it was almost like I was, it, it's almost like it was going to be at the level of sin in my mind, you know, because I'd made such a rule, you know, with myself that if I don't get out of bed, I'm breaking my, my rule. You know, it's like something I really, Mm -hmm. I'd be a little bit legalistic about it, but I knew I needed that to be able to form, you know, kind of the habit and to kind of get my body even adjusted to it. And what that meant was I did actually have to try to go to sleep earlier, which was also a discipline because I normally would stay up late. So I had to kind of almost just force myself to actually physically get in bed by a certain time. It doesn't necessarily mean I would fall asleep instantly, but the more I had put myself in motion to do it, the more that it would happen. And that helped with the routine. I I then started to add a little more accountability to it because my brother-in-law wanted to work out. And so I just said, well, you're welcome to come with me in the morning. And, uh, and that turned into a thing where now there's somebody actually waiting for me, you know, at that time to go work out in the morning, which sort of, sort of forced the, uh, the issue more. Uh, it also made it makes it more interesting and more fun when you have somebody to talk to that early in the morning versus just being by yourself, if, especially if you're an extrovert like me. So, um, so that's helped, you know, to have some accountability, but there's been many times where he's missed or couldn't do it or wasn't feeling well. And I still, in those moments said, you know, even though he's not coming, I need to get up and do it, you know, and still do it by myself. So it happened instantly, but the way it became a habit was just by sheer determination that, that it was like a zero tolerance policy. You know, like I, like I, I literally can't miss a day, um, because I need to develop this into a habit. And that for me, that worked. Very good. Very Love good. that. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask our last question. We're going to go ahead and move to five. And that is, what would you tell your 20 year old self about preparing to lead or leadership? Um, you know, I, I get asked that question a lot or a variation of that question. And, um, and so I'll kind of answer it the way I typically do, but then, uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. My, normally when someone says, what would you tell uh, the 20 year old version of yourself about anything? Um, I thought about a lot and I actually say absolutely nothing because the 20 year old version of myself would have messed everything up if it knew anything, you know, about the future. Uh, it would have, you know, probably wanted to, to sort of jump to, um, to whatever, you know, I said it was going to happen or to whatever. Right. So, but I know the intent of the question is to kind of get more to like, what are some valuable lessons I've learned over life and, uh, and that I didn't know when I was 20. And I, I think the, uh, the, the answer is, uh, I, I think I probably didn't fully appreciate, I, I know I didn't appreciate when I was 20, how important it was to sort of be in the moment. I was mm-hmm. always looking sort of toward the future and always wanting the future to get here fast. And I was never, um, 
I was never sort of appreciating in the moment, both the people that I was with and just the situation I was in. And there's probably a lot more I could have learned um, from the situations I was in and the people I was with in the moment had I been more focused on that moment or in the moment. And so that's one. I would say um, I... Uh, never would have appreciated what God would do in the long run. I mean, Craig has mentioned this, you know, we always kind of overestimate what God's going to do in the short run and we underestimate what he can do in the long run. Uh, meaning we're always sort of thinking things are going to happen faster, um, but we need to be more patient. I would say that was definitely the 20 year old version of me. Uh, the other thing that was really profound that happened later, I was probably 20, uh, I was probably 28 or 29 at the time when I, uh, did the now discover your strengths, uh, and, and understand, could articulate what my strengths were. The 20 year old version of me, um, really spent a lot of time trying to, to shore up weaknesses. Um, j just felt like I needed to, needed to be somebody that I wasn't and trying to be trying to spend a lot of energy, you know, trying to do that. Um, the 30, 30 year old version of me began to realize that, you know, God's given me these strengths and I can actually leverage these strengths in situations that I was trying to leverage other strengths in that weren't my strengths. And, um, mm -hmm. and I can also have more security and just not be quite so insecure, but just know this is how God made me. And, and I'm comfortable in my own skin. I understand this is how he wired me and, and appreciating that led me to stop striving for things I didn't need to be or shouldn't have been. And it was like a very freeing thing in my life. So if I could have learned that earlier, I, I imagine I could have accomplished more or done more um, and or certainly wasted less energy um, doing it. And it was after I went through that, after I understood that, that it changed even my role here at the church, which then ultimately led to the ideas that, that led to free resources and church online and you version, all that came when I actually felt like I could settle in and, and just focus and, and live out my strengths instead of trying to be somebody that I wasn't. So I think God used that. Um, but unfortunately, you know, he used it later in life and I, I might've been able to have a bigger impact earlier if I'd have known that. So good. So good. Well, uh, thank you so much for being on. I do think that there's some things that, um, that we definitely want to talk to you again about in the future. So hopefully, ho I hope you'll come back. Um, sure. And we really appreciate the work of Life Church and what you guys do for the kingdom and also, you know, the, the amount of time, effort, and energy, and intention uh, that you invest in version is is great. And the, the new direction that you talked about, uh, not new direction, but the new emphasis that you talked about uh, moving toward with intimacy with God, uh, I think we're all looking forward to that. I mean, you know, everybody watches their streak uh, but <laughs> and how much time they spend. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think um, having that element will be tremendously beneficial. Yeah. So thank you so much for your investment in the kingdom. Well, completely. thank you guys so much. And um, I'm honored to come on and share about what God's doing and what we're learning uh, anytime. But thank you for the opportunity to do that. And I am trying, and I have started doing this last year to kind of really share what God's doing on the journey. And I've been using Instagram to do that quite a bit. And so if people want to follow what's going on there, they can they can catch things in between the, the regular podcast I do with you guys. <laughs> Awesome. Following right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Bobby. Yeah. 
We hope you enjoyed that podcast. It was such an honor to be able to interview Bobby and, and learn a little bit more about the, the man behind, uh, the man leading the team behind the Uversion app and the Uversion for Kids app. So, I mean, if you haven't used those or you aren't familiar with those Bible apps, definitely do take a look and we'll have all the other resources in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're also going to enjoy the Ask Me Anything podcast with J.D. Greer and Todd Unzicker. They're part of a part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network family, and they've addressed a ton of recent relevant issues like how should we respond to a police shooting uh, and a lot of relevant topics for you and your church. So just look up Ask Me Anything on your favorite podcasting app and get started today.